At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American healthcare. Today's episode features what I'm absolutely going to be defining as a celebrity within our space. Christy Snodgrass is a registered nurse, patient, and healthcare worker advocate, and founder of Healthcare Reformed. And instead of me going through my normal spiel about introducing the podcast episode, we're going to jump right into it. Christy, welcome to Healthcare Americana. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Chris. I'm excited to be here. Now, we first got connected a, a few months ago and started looking at your work. We're like, holy cow, I love what's coming out of uh, Christy's messaging and what she's doing. And I want to hear from you. How do you define being a patient and healthcare worker advocate? So um, a patient advocate is kind of easy and difficult to define um, at the same time because anybody really can be a patient advocate if they wanted to. You don't have to be a clinician. Um, you don't have to have a medical background. You don't have to have a license. So the, if there is a lay person who, um, you know, went through the medical system and is just familiar with that process, they are actually able to become an independent patient advocate and advocate for other patients. Now, what I do in my work is um, I do patient advocacy, but kind of on an organizational side. So I work with organizations, helping them build out patient-centered programs, helping with them with their media, helping them simplify their website so it's more patient-friendly. So that's what I do mainly. And then in doing that, I naturally have to, you know, go to the patients directly and negotiate hospital bills or talk to providers or see what the real needs are so I can go back to these organizations and advocate for them. So it's kind of this whole thing where this might sound crazy to a lot of people within healthcare, but you're actually putting patients' needs, wants, concerns first. Yes, it's a wild idea. What a novel concept. All right, so <laughs> we did say that you are a registered nurse and so, you know, the RN capability continues. And what we've seen is that there are a lot of RNs out there who realize, you know, I went into nursing because I'm a nice person. I like taking care of fellow human beings. But the structure around it was, I don't know, if toxic, abusive, not to be dramatic or anything along that. But there's a lot of RNs who say, you know what, I think there's a better way to do this. What was your experience? Yeah, so my experience working within a hospital as an RN, and I try to keep this short, but I can I can go on forever, Chris. So let me just try to condense it for you. Um, I went into nursing wanting to help people. I mean, I was just passionate about it. I loved nursing. 
I went to the best hospital in my area. Um, I've talked a little bit about this before, but I, I picked this hospital because it was, you know, the newest and coolest with all the best technology, had the coolest nurses there. Um, had to go through a, a three-tiered interview process to even get my foot in the door. And then I got there, and right off the bat, I was noticing very unsafe conditions within the hospital. Um, they were stretching nurses way too thin. Nurse turnover was huge. I think at the time when I was there, when I served on a staffing committee, our nurse turnover was like 95% within the first two years of being at the hospital. So it's... Wow. So I hold on. I, I, I got to jump in on that one. So you're almost entirely new nursing staff every two yes. years. Yes. So one of the things that I noticed right when I got there is I got on high, I got hired onto an oncology floor. I was supposed to do cancer care. That's what I loved. I was so excited about it. Day one of orientation, they told me that I would spend my three months of orientation on a renal floor learning kidney care. And I was taken aback. I was like, that, that's not what I signed up for. This is not the floor that I'm going to be on. These are not the things that I need to learn. And the hospital kind of pitched it to me as like, well, this is a new nurse residency program and everybody, all new nurses are going to orient on this floor. And then I got on the floor and I talked to the actual nurses and I said, what is going on here? Why am I not orienting on my own floor? And they said, well, the nurses on all the other floors are too new. They can't take on or train a new nurse. So we have the most experienced nurses here. So we're going to train all the nurses and then send them out to their respective floors. So that was like day one red flag. Okay, something's going on here. But when you've never done healthcare before, you kind of allow higher ups and administrators to define what healthcare looks like. So I didn't know any better and I just proceeded forward. But beyond that point, there was, I mean, we could go into it. There was red flag after red flag after red flag of unsafe conditions. And it was just kind of smoothed over by the executive saying like, this is the way it is. This is how it's always been. And the more you tolerate, the better of a nurse you're going to be was their message to me. So that that's, that's essentially what I tried to do during my entire nursing career. Every single show introduction, you know, I kind of rail against the status quo. And I couldn't help but think that that's exactly what you were hearing. And, you know, from a business standpoint, if anybody ever says, well, this is the way we've always done it. And it's like, oh, my gosh, that is so maddening. Let me ask you, what were some of the reasons why that turnover number was so high? So let me just get into what I experienced, because my experience is not unique whatsoever. It's what most nurses experience in the hospital. And that is, you know, I completed my three months of orientation on a floor that I was not going to be on. I was immediately thrown into oncology. And day one, I mean, I had a doctor come up to me and ask me to do a bone marrow biopsy. And I stopped and I was like, what is a bone marrow biopsy? I didn't even know because I had not been trained in the work they were asking me to do. But when I looked around and said, hey, you know, like, I don't know how to do this. Is somebody gonna, is somebody else gonna step in? It was like, no, like, that's how you learn. You just go into it and you do it. And then afterwards you can reevaluate, which is a very unsafe for my license, very unsafe for the patient. But when that's all they've ever done, that's all I know. So, you know, that started and then eight months into my career. So I'm just a brand new nurse, you know, six months, five months off of orientation. Uh, they said, okay, you're now going to be the charge nurse of the unit. But they phrased it in a way like it was going to be a privilege to me instead of what it really was, was they didn't have enough staff. They were going to put, you know, whoever they thought could do it 
in charge of the unit. So I started running the unit eight months in, barely know what I'm doing, and I'm telling other people what to do. Um, And then a year in, I started training new nurses. I was one of the most established nurses there. So I, I ended up training new nurses. And the hospital did not increase my pay for those things. If anything, it was like a 50 cent per hour raise to do those extra things. So by a year in, this is why the turnover is so high. Because a year in, I was the charge nurse of my unit, running my unit. They still gave me a full load of patients to take care of on my own. In addition to that, I was training new nurses. So I had new nurses following me going through all these steps and I'm trying to train them on what to do while doing 50 other things. And it got to the point where it was just so unsafe and so heavy every single day. And you, you felt, you really felt the fact that you couldn't care for your patients adequately because you just did not have the time. And that weighs on you so heavily when you're taking care of people's lives that that's, that's, exactly why turnover is so high hospital stretch nurses and you know all healthcare workers so thin that they they burn out like that at the speed of light so that's essentially why the turnover was so high at the hospital yeah chrissy i i appreciate you sparing, uh, sharing your insight there excuse me i'm curious what was your interaction with the physicians because I kind of want to close a loop around how care is administered in a hospital setting, and not a lot of people are able to put those lens on that you just described and see it through your eyes. Mm-hmm. The, the physicians experience things very, very similar to what nurses experience. I know that you know hospitals tend to want to silo us and maybe even pit us against one another, but the experience of the nurse and the physician is very, very similar. Um, physicians were spread way too thin. They could spend a maximum of a few minutes in the room with each of their patients because they were spent they were spending all their time in front of a computer documenting trying to get the hospital reimbursed and then moving on to their, you know, 25 30 other patients that they had on their caseload and mind you these are acute care patients. This is not easy head colds here. This is this is serious stuff. And they had to spend all this time documenting all these things so the hospital could get reimbursed appropriately. And it left very little time with their patients. So their burnout, it just as bad as ours. And and mind you, in my hospital, at least where I worked, um, there was always a, a shifting of the physicians. They were always getting bought out by whatever private equity group had them next. So they were always changing their rules, always changing their regulations, always changing the way that they were structured. So there was no continuity for them whatsoever, and they, they burned out just as fast. So it seems like there was a lot of shared experiences amongst the care team, which is terrifying on any patient side of it, regardless of why you were in a hospital or any type of a care setting there. We are talking with Christy Snodgrass, registered nurse, patient, and healthcare worker advocate, and founder of Healthcare Reform. So, Christy, walk us through your next steps. You became a nurse. You're like, all right, I got to go heal people. I got to take care of my fellow human beings. This is fantastic. You realize that, you know what, this, uh, the reality of it isn't quite what you signed up for. What happened next? 
Yeah. So um, I came to a point and it was actually a day, like an actual day that I decided I'm not going to do this anymore. And on that day, like I said, I was the charge nurse. I had a full load of patients myself. I had a brand new team um, that I was teaching and helping run the unit. And then in addition to that, at this time, I was chemotherapy certified and I was one of the only nurses giving chemotherapy in the hospital. So I was monitoring chemotherapy for a multitude of patients while I was doing all these other things. Um, While these things were happening, two patients on my unit began having a stroke at the same time. Uh, And because I had such a new team, I was running back and forth to both rooms, making sure that everybody was following protocols and, and patients were being taken care of. These patients both went down for a scan at the same time um, to see if there was any bleeding in the brain, obviously. And when their results came back, I got them back at the exact same time. And one of them was positive and one of them was negative. So I called the doctor and I said, hey, this patient is positive and he's giving me all these orders, transfer to ICU, this med, this intervention, so on and so forth. So as I am going to put all these interventions in, I realized that I am on the wrong patient. So I am telling him that the patient that was negative was positive and I made a mistake. Now, nothing was documented. No harm ever came to the patient, but I realized that I was this close, just so close to making what could have been a deadly mistake for a patient. Um, So that day I went home and I thought, you know, I, I've seen cancer patients over the year go into all this crippling debt, just ginormous amounts of debt, right? And yet I'm not getting paid anymore for the work that I'm doing. The physicians are on set salaries. Like, where is all this money going? And um, that question really bothered me. So I decided that rather than leave the hospital altogether, I wanted to first go into case management in the hospital to see how these reimbursement systems work. Because not a lot of people understand that healthcare workers, doctors, nurses have no clue what things cost. I mean, I hear it from patients all the time. Oh, the doctor just ordered this because, you know, he wanted to charge my insurance. I guarantee you that the doctor has no clue what that thing he ordered is actually going to cost you because every patient is going to be different, right? So I went into uh, case management and my job, my job title at least, was that I was supposed to help patients navigate their hospital stay, get all the care that they needed, and make sure that they got any additional services that they needed outside of the hospital. So if they needed physical therapy, a nursing home, whatever, I was supposed to set that all up. I liked that job title. It seemed like I was going to finally be helping patients, but what it really ended up being was me meeting with um, executives and administrators multiple times a day, going over how we were going to be reimbursed for each patient. And then if the patient was getting to the point where we weren't getting reimbursed anymore, I was supposed to shove them out the door as quickly as possible. So once I kind of got to see behind the scenes as to how this is all really working, I decided that I was going to eventually make my exit at that point. So it sounds like that your case management title should have actually been profit maximization. Yeah. Over a human being. That makes a lot of sense. And and I kind of smiled when he said, uh, very few people understand, you know, this, the economics of, of a hospital. And I'm like, I kind of laugh. I'm like, I would say it's even less than that. Yeah. 
I'd say Definitely. Maybe you kind of want to on your hands almost, and toes, and that's about it. Exactly. And it's almost astonishing to me. And after, you know, being on the advocacy side of it and how much I've learned just about the reimbursement systems in general, I'm kind of taken aback by how little I knew as a bedside nurse. I had no, and, and doctors as well. Like we have really have no idea the financial implications of the care that we're giving. And being that we're the ones ordering and delivering the care, it seems very logical to me that we should know how that's going to affect our patient as a whole person and not just how it's going to affect them clinically. I want to explore that a little bit because that's something that that pops up a bunch. And just to put that in context, when anybody asks me, hey, Chris, you know, outside of what you guys are doing, Freedom Health Works, how am I supposed to make an impact? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person, right? I, I work in a, a factory or whatever it is. How am I supposed to impact healthcare? And my response to him every time is, next time you go see the doctor, ask the price. And I've gotten a lot of pushback from physicians over the years who say, well, Chris, we don't know what the price is. And I say, should you? In your experience, Christy, how difficult is it to get that information? And what would happen in your experience? What would happen to a doctor or a nurse who tried to find that information? Well, first off, Chris, that information is impossible to find. Out of the many, many times as a nurse that I asked the price of something, I have never once gotten an actual answer from anybody. So, What are the answers you got? So the answer is, we don't know. That's something the billing department handles. It's all (laughs) negotiated on the back end. We don't know until after the patient is already gone and we negotiate with the insurance company. Sometimes they'll, you know, if a patient is uninsured, I had a little log that I kept as a case manager that just showed, you know, gross charge master prices on it. But I'm like, I see that, but I had my manager saying like, oh, that's not going to be the actual price. It's just a charge master price. And it's like millions, millions of dollars. And I'm like, what is like, I have no idea. So that the, the answer to that is... It's hard. Like, I, I understand that asking doctors more, asking nurses more will spark something. I think that there is some real change that would happen there. But the actual front end of it, the initial of it, of trying to get that information, in my experience, has just been impossible. Nobody wants to give me that information. Yeah, you bang your head against the wall enough times, you're going to stop doing it, right? And I'm curious, has it ever gone to the extreme where somebody has said, hey, Christy, why don't you quit asking, right? You're asking questions that you shouldn't be asking. Any kind of like mobster mentality? Yeah. So in anything in nursing or healthcare, when you question enough and people say, this is the way it is, this is the way it is, it's just gets to a point where it's awkward. Like you've asked that question and I've answered it. So quit asking. So I'm like, I didn't actually get an answer, but yeah, I don't know. It's not an answer, guys. What, yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. It's always fascinating, and I like having those types of conversations and and saying, okay, somebody has to know somewhere. There's some magic book locked behind five steel doors and 16 alarms and 14 guard dogs that show the price of it. How do we put that out to the front lines? Because in my mind, you know, on my soapbox here, that's the biggest way to make an impact in healthcare and just finding out what cost is and, again, separating pricing and costing, but that's the economics of it. So I want to call out one thing that I've heard you talk about is how big of an echo chamber healthcare is. That physicians and nurses, the people we trust, and again, trust is a big part of it. You mentioned trust 
as a new nurse coming into the hospital thinking, hey, these people are going to be doing the right thing for myself and for all of the patients. Patients trust physicians to order the right kind of tests and do the right type of uh, exams to get to the correct diagnosis. A lot of times they trust them financially and they probably shouldn't, but that's you know the business and economics of it. So from your side as a caregiver, this whole echo chamber happens, right? You've mentioned that we're aware of, I guess, kind of the kind of the underbelly, uh, to use your own words there, the underbelly of healthcare, but nobody's really doing anything about it. How does that square with you? Yeah, so this is something that I noticed right off the bat. So I took kind of an un, very untraditional route out of healthcare, and that's that I started growing my social media, particularly at TikTok, which is I've gotten so many people be like, that is the weirdest place to put healthcare reform. But me, I have a husband who works in marketing, and I know how much social media has an influence on people. I wanted to go to where the people were. Like I wanted to get to where they were instead of making them find me. So I grew that and I grew it to the point where I couldn't hide it from the hospital anymore because, you know, I knew that there was going to be retaliation for what I was saying. Um, And then I quit my job and I continued to grow that. And what I realized in doing that is people saw what I was saying and they started reaching out. They were like, you know, I'm with this organization. We do all these cool things for patients or we're working on this in the Senate or whatever. And they're, they're reaching out to me and I'm like, my entire job in the hospital was trying to find patients these things and I couldn't find you. Like, where were you? Like, I needed you so bad and I could never find you. So I, as I met more and more organizations, I realized that they were all talking to each other, but nobody was talking to the people who were actually on the ground. And that's a big problem. Now, I understand why it occurs. And our conversation just now is is a good example of that is because when we yell back at the people that are abusing us or, or you know, what, that we have a problem with, it's like talking to a wall, right? But I think that that's not the correct avenue to go. I'm a big believer in that we need to educate the consumer, which is the patient, about healthcare and what's going on because they are the least educated and they're the ones consuming these essentially bad resources when there are good or better resources available. So when I met all these organizations, long story short, I asked like, how are you getting your message out there? And they're like, well, we go to these conferences or we're on LinkedIn or whatever. And I'm like, how many patients are on LinkedIn? Like how many patients are attending medication conferences, not many, right? Um, So if we really want to move the needle, we need to be able to influence the patient and quit just talking to each other. Preventing the echo chamber, right? You can have echo chambers on both sides of it. And again, I totally sympathize with that because we see the same people and it's like, hey, we're doing something alternate over here, giving people the choice. How do we become mainstream in that? And that's a serious, serious conversation that a lot of companies such as ours are absolutely having. Uh, Chrissy, you mentioned educating people. And if anybody asks me what the biggest hurdles, what the biggest challenges are, I think a lot of people expect me to say something legislatively in, in you know, some law somewhere that would kill the whole thing. I said, no, no, the biggest challenge is telling people that they have a choice that your health insurance card isn't your gateway to seeing a physician or getting actual health care. 
And so I'm right aligned with you. Give us some tips and kind of some things that are working from your side that gets the message across where people are able to understand that there is a kind of different world out there that they can really dive into. Yeah. So what I'm seeing on the the individual, the patient side of it, is that organizations are immediately jumping into higher level healthcare thinking whenever they're trying to communicate with the patient. So they're going to go ahead and tell them all the ways that their insurance is not working for them, or here's the better option, or here's the hospitals that are doing better. But we don't really have as healthcare workers and as people working in this space, a really good grasp of how little patients understand. So when you try to teach algebra, when they haven't learned kindergarten math, it's not going to happen. They're not going to be influenced to change. So where I feel like I'm able to move the needle is I break these things down into teeny tiny blocks. Like I literally have to just teach healthcare so then I can then get to the issue. So one of the videos that I did this this past year was health insurance terminology. And it was basically just saying like, this is what a deductible is. This is what a copay is. I cannot tell you how these things are, are so manipulative if you don't even know the definition of the word. And that video probably has over a million views and thousands and thousands of comments of saying, thank you, nobody's ever taught me this. Like I literally just get pushed a health insurance plan at work and I pick the cheapest one and that's what I go with. So when we talk about moving the needle, we as organizations really need to be heavy on that education piece, but not education up here where we understand it, but education on the foundational level. Because once they understand how healthcare works, then we can teach how it's going wrong and what we can do better. It always drives me nuts when you'd hear about the uh, the federal government talking about healthcare reform, and I'm pulling my hair out saying, "All you're doing is talking about health insurance reform. These are two completely different things, right?" And we we uh, our company T-shirt just says, "Insurance is not healthcare," you know, with the big uh, equal sign with the slash through. <laughs> Love and we it. throw those out at any conference that we can get to. It's just like, oh my gosh, we can make things so much simpler, you know, to to take your language there. It, I love the simplicity of what you're doing and, and what your message is and how you get that out to people. You meet them where they are, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking with Christy Snodgrass, registered nurse, patient healthcare worker advocate and founder of Healthcare Reformed. Christy, I want to talk a little bit about your organization, Healthcare Reformed. Give us kind of the very long elevator pitch. How about that? So <laughs> take us from the top yeah. floor all the way to the bottom and give us some insight on what you're doing. Yeah, so I I started with my social media and it was growing from there and I was I was being presented with this these opportunities to work with other organizations. They said, you know, like we love what you do, we love how you simplify things. Can you come help us out with this program we're trying to build or um, you know, whatever they're trying to do. So I decided to make healthcare reform to kind of encompass that so I could, you know, be a consultant to other healthcare agencies, but also I use it as a resource hub for the majority of patients because, you know, I have 800,000 people coming to me every day saying like, hey, I have this condition or I have this hospital bill, what can I do? So instead of, you know, using the manpower to, to answer those on an individual basis, I just keep a list of resources and it's always changing and always updating on my website for both patients and healthcare workers where they can go in and say, okay, I need help with this. What are the organizations that do that? So then they're not scouring the internet for 10 hours looking for that organization. So 
So that's really what healthcare reformed does is it's just like an all encompassing, let me help whoever I can help in the healthcare industry type of business. And one of the things, and that was a, that was a great long elevator ride. I appreciate that. One of the things that kind of caught me during that is that not only do, will people waste time, but a lot of the terminology, they don't even know what to type into the search bar. And I think you do a good job of that. And you mentioned, you know, the video talking about, hey, how do you actually define all these insurance terms? But there's a lot of different kind of regional dialects and things that come across. And I'm saying that from firsthand experience in our industry, from direct primary care, concierge, direct pay, direct patient care, cash pay, self-pay, membership. You know, there's so many different things around it. And I think you do a very nice job of being that resource for people that says, Hey, I think you're kind of talking about this and this is actually, you know, what it means. And here's where you can find it close to you here. Yeah. So. The, the other benefit there too is I don't just find resources and then put them up on my website. I find resources and then I find their CEO or their president and I go and I have a Zoom with them because I want to see their face. I want to ask them questions. I want to know how their business is run and how the patient is charged. So I really feel like patients who come and look at those resources know that that's a safe resource to utilize. Establishing trust in healthcare. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Novel. <laughs> Wanted to dive down the social media rabbit hole to some people. And it, it amazes me from a medical professional standpoint, this fear of social media and really participating in it. You mentioned that, hey, I knew I was going to get fired for what I was saying on my social media. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's that's a real fear out there. We've talked to medical students who say, you know, Chris, I can't, I, I'm terrified to put out a, a persona out there. I have to basically censor myself if I want to make it through school here. What's your advice to people in the medical profession who are so scared to speak out and go meet consumers and patients where they are using the novel of social media? Yeah, so there are, and like I like I said, there are some um, individuals who, you know, work in more, it would be more dangerous for them to do that than others. So those people, I think, who can't necessarily give out case studies or do any of that can do, like, can really help with the foundational stuff. I love it when doctors or nurses or whoever get on the internet and say like, hey, here's how reimbursement systems work. Here's how, you know, your doctor bills these things. Here's how the billing department works. That is so much more helpful when it comes to educating the patient and then letting the people who are able to take a little bit more risk take on the higher level stuff because I don't have to sit there and explain what healthcare is um, because it's already readily about out there being given by other healthcare professionals. I'll certainly appreciate you being a voice for everybody who uh, might not be able to speak up. So last question for you, Christy, this is the trillion dollar question. What does the perfect healthcare system look like to you? Uh, that is, you know, Chris, to be 100% honest, I haven't been able to define how we're going to get there or what that's going to look like. But as soon as we get to a point where everybody has access to quality care, regardless of ability to pay, that's the perfect healthcare system to me. So how we get there is hotly debated and I still debate it myself. But when we get to the point where, where that's our reality, that's the perfect healthcare system for me. I guess this is actually my last question, but uh, Christy, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you and tune in to all the fine work you're doing? 
Yeah, so you can um, go to my website, healthcarereformed.org, and then you can follow me on TikTok and on um, Instagram at at Christy, P-R-N. Christy Snodgrass, appreciate all the work you're doing. Thanks for joining us here on our show. Oh, thanks for having me, Chris. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com. Catch previous episodes, subscribe to the mailing list, and visit our online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.